for your word. And specifically for these words, I know that, that they are a lamp unto our feet and a, a light unto our path, especially those of us who have come into church this morning weary and heavy laden. May we find rest in you as we discern what it is that you're calling us to be able to give to you, to take off of our shoulders as we focus on worry. Help us to understand the truth that is your presence with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. These are Jesus' words. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food or the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can one of you, any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was a few uh, weeks ago now, I think it was, my, my wife Alyssa and I, we had some dinner, we had dinner with some good friends of ours that we've kind of um, lost some touch with over the last number of years. Just chaos of life, it's just been really busy and, and haven't been able to get together. And so it was really good that we were able to get our families together. And um, I grew up with the husband, he and I, from kindergarten on, we went to school together. Um, and they now have a four-year-old daughter who's the same age and the same spunk personality is our four-year-old daughter so we got them together and they played and they also just had a baby boy just like we did so it was really good to be able to spend time together and it turned out that their little guy is a little fussy and maybe he's got some colics something like that but very very difficult to console and and we were sharing that it reminded us a lot of our, our oldest son, Jacob. Um, and some of you, I see Cindy's nodding because she's heard the stories of our 13-year-old Jacob. He's, he's almost 13 years old now. And yet we remember when he was a baby, he was almost the exact same way as this, this friend of ours kid. Uh, he was premature, which meant his digestive system took a little bit longer to kind of come online and develop. And that meant, him, meant that he was very inconsolable at times, had difficulty eating and all of that kind of stuff. And so, so what do you learn to do when you have a baby who is very difficult to console? You walk, right? And, and you pace and you bounce. And then when they fall asleep, it doesn't matter what position you're in, you stop and you don't move. And you sway back and forth, back and forth. You don't stop, back and forth, lest that child wakes up and you start all over 
again. And so that was the conversations that we were having together was rocking the baby and doing that. And, and, and they were telling us how their first child, their daughter, was not like their son. She was very even-tempered, mild-mannered, easygoing. This little guy is a little bit more of a challenge. And so we talked about how when you have a child like that, you're, you're invited into this unofficial cohort of parents of difficult challenging infants and I can see some of you are card-carrying members because you're smiling and nodding and you know and you remember there's grandparents who are part of that cohort too and we talked about how formative even though that season is usually just a short time how formative it is you never really forget our, our son Jake is almost 13 years old and yet even when we haven't had a baby in our house all it takes is an infant on the other side of the sanctuary just moving around a little bit and immediately you go back. Or you're at Walmart, right? And the aisle over, there's a baby crying and suddenly you just start rocking back and forth. And then you look down and you see that there's a loaf of bread in your arms and you look around just hoping that nobody you know actually saw you. Well, today is the, the fifth Sunday in our series, Emotional Faith. We're, we're focusing on a very, I, I'm sure for many of us, a very familiar passage and certainly a very familiar emotion, and that is the emotion of worry. And I would suggest that like rocking an inconsolable infant, over the years, worry kind of becomes a rocking back and forth that for most of us, we never really shake. It was a response to the world that at one time was rooted in something real and significant, something that was worth worrying about, but over time, it naturally becomes an automatic response to things that maybe we shouldn't be quite so concerned about. And so the question becomes, in the terms of worry, when I'm worrying about something, am I rocking an infant, or am I rocking a loaf of bread? And that's the question that I want to ask as we get into this reading today from the Gospel of Matthew. You find a similar passage in the Gospel of Luke as well. And it gets to the heart of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's right there in the text where Jesus talks about worry. Just before this in Matthew, he talks about money. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, that he talks about that before he talks about worry. And then continues in verse 25 by saying this, Therefore I tell you, say this part with me, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Now, as, as we often talk about, the Bible was not originally written in English, and so we have to translate it. And the Greek word here for worry can actually mean a number of things. It's defined as, as meaning to be anxious, to be worried, but it could also mean to be careful. It could also mean to simply to care for something. The old King James Version translates it to take no thought. And that makes sense, right? Because worry and anxiety and thoughts and concern all go together. And they go together not just because they sound similar, they're related, but also because they're not always the wrong response to something. There's times when you should be worried. 
There's times when we should be anxious. There's times when we should be concerned. For example, same Greek word shows up in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth that we went over this last fall. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he's talking about the church being a body together. It says this, there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern. That's actually the same Greek word. And so you could put in there that we should, each part should have equal worry for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is the image the Apostle Paul gives for his church, that we are a body of believers that are concerned about the other parts around us. This is why God gave us the church, so that we don't have to go through life alone, that we might concern ourselves with one another. And, and is that not a need, right? As we look back at the last year, this is the thing that we celebrate, is the way in which God has taken care of each other, not just simply through his presence, but through his presence as it manifests itself out of the concern of his church. And I point this out because this passage is not a blanket statement that often we think it is of Jesus telling us, don't be worried. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. What it is, is it's Jesus teaching us to be concerned about the right things because if we're not concerned about the right things, we find ourselves in the wrong aisle in Walmart rocking a loaf of bread. And we don't want to do that, right? And I think this resonates because... Being concerned about the right things is not generally what robs us of the peace that God has for us. This is what I mean. Think about an inconsolable infant again. A parent's concern for that child's crying, that child's pain, whatever is wrong with that child, a parent's concern for that is normal. It's God-given. God actually designed infants to cry when they have a need. Jesus was a baby, and we have every reason to believe that when he was hungry or his diaper was full, Jesus cried, right? He wept as an adult. I've got to assume he cried as a baby. And just like the parents here, parents then, Mary was wired by God to meet that child's need. And so child gets rocked back and forth, and it's the natural design of the world and life and the way in which we live that that parent finds their peace when their child is at peace. This is natural, this is the way in which God has designed us to live. But what isn't natural, what isn't by God's design, is when we take that same level of concern and we worry about things that we have no control over. None at all. And you usually know when you're doing something like that because you find that you no longer have peace because you're worrying about something when you're in a context that is completely separated and apart from anything you can do about that thing that you're worried about. Here's, here's, here's what I mean, right? How many moments in your life have been robbed? And it hasn't been by the moment itself, but it's been, it's been what you're thinking about during that moment, what you're anxious about, where your brain is someone else. I think like the number one thing that robs me of my quality time with my family, it, it's not my job, <laughs> and, and, I, and I work a lot of hours, but, but it's not my job. It's, it's, it's worrying about my job when I'm with my kids. 
It's when I'm on the floor and, and we're playing with toys and they're putting Legos together and they're talking and I'm listening, but I'm not really because my brain is somewhere else. And, and it's the same thing. What robs me of my quality time at work is not my family, right? I've got a big family. It's, it's worrying about my family when I'm not with my family. And, and, and there's this quote, I've shared this uh, in different variations over the years. I think it's really good. Um, it goes like this, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you very far. It's true, right? Because worrying about my kids while I'm at work, right? Some of you, right, because you're just very gracious and kind to me when I said that. You're like, oh, he worries about his kids when he's at work, right? But here's the truth, right? When I'm at work worrying about my kids, they have no clue, I'm not actually doing anything tangible to show them love or, 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 or do anything to help them. They don't even know that I'm thinking about them. Same thing, you guys at church, right? When I'm thinking about church, when I'm at home, you don't benefit from that, right? Right? When I'm supposed to be playing with my kids, actually those of you who are wiser than me would pull me aside and say, Tom, spend time with your kids. Unplug. Be in the moment. This is what Jesus is teaching when he says, again, look at this, verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. And we have to understand this because otherwise this verse gets really confusing. Because you could say, well, my kids are really important, right? My job it's really important. These are things that we should concern ourselves with. And then Jesus chooses these examples. He says, do not worry uh, about food and drink and clothing. And, and I love that those are the examples he picks. He does not pick frivolous things. He picks things that you need. That your life is, is desperate to receive. Right? He does not say, do not worry about when you're going to win the lottery. He does not say, do not worry about whether this time this coach and this general manager will bring the Bears to where they need to go, right, Ted? Right? He doesn't say that, right? Is 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 important. Oh, it'd be so exciting to win the lottery, so exciting to win the Super Bowl. This is not what he's talking about. He's talking about legitimate needs. Food, clothing, drink. And so he's, he's telling us not to worry about these things, not because these things are not important, but because he's going to teach us a better way to be concerned or anxious or even worry ourselves about the things that God knows that we need. And the better way that he teaches us to do that is to begin by realizing that you on your own are not capable of meeting all of your own needs by yourself. And on top of that, and I'll say this, let me just say this because I know that someone needs to hear this, you also don't have everything the people around you that are dependent on you need as well. You are not the solution to everyone's problems. You cannot provide for everyone everything that they need. And it was a number of years ago now, I read a book. It's titled Let Your Life Speak. It's by the author Parker Palmer. And he talks about how he burned out in life and, and went into this, this season of depression. And the book reflects on his experience and talks about the warning signs um, so that we might be able to see them. And there's this quote that I, I shared when I read it, and I've, I've shared it probably with many of you over the years. It goes like this. It really stuck with me. He said, though usually regarded as the result of trying to give too much, burnout, in my experience, results from trying to give 
what I do not possess, the ultimate in giving too little. Burnout is a state of emptiness, to be sure, but it does not result from giving all I have. It merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. Now, that's deep. But here's here's what it means. When we burn ourselves out by by worrying or being anxious, it's not that we're trying too hard to do something that we should be able to do. It's that we're trying too hard to do something that we were never designed by God to do alone to begin with. Let Let me say that again. When we burn ourselves out through being worried or anxious, it is not that we're trying too hard to do something you should be able to do. It is that you're trying too hard to do something that you were never intended to do alone to begin with. This is why, right, when we do it, it's like spinning our wheels. It's rocking on the rocking chair. It is swaying with a loaf of bread. And so what Jesus says here is not to not worry. He says, worry about the right things. And if you look at the context of the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see what those right things are. Be concerned about the brothers and sisters that you have in Christ. Be concerned about loving God and loving your neighbor. Be concerned about everything that God has given you the ability to be concerned about. Think about it. Let it make you anxious like a parent that is wired to meet the needs of an inconsolable child. If you're a student and you've got a big test coming up this week and you're worrying about it God has given you the ability to study and this verse is not telling you well well Jesus said that he feeds the birds and so I'm just going to go party tonight I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to get an A he's going to give me an A is that how life works no but a lot of times we read these passages and we think that's what it says and then we dismiss it because it's like well I know that's not how life works and so how can this possibly make sense what this means is study If you have a test, study, and and what you will find in your ability to do what only you can do is that your worry and your anxiety will be released as you do it. You will not burn out by studying. What you will burn out by doing is going to take the test, sitting in the desk, and while you should be focusing on the test, instead what goes through your brain is, I wish I had a few more hours to study. Oh, it would have been so much better. Oh, I wish I wasn't getting a D in this class because if I was, I, I got to do this in order to pass. I got to get an A, right? Or, or, or looking at the person next to you and going, man, Joe just gets this, right? I'll bet he didn't have to study at all. I wish I was more like Joe, right? That's what's going to burn you out. And the tricky thing about it is all of that stuff might be true, Right? Right? Maybe a couple extra hours of studying would have helped you do better on that test. Maybe you are getting a D, right? Maybe that's the predicament that you're in. Maybe it does come easier to the kid that's sitting next to you. The, the, the thing about all of that, though, is that there's nothing when you're sitting to take the test that you can do about any of those things. You can't. And as long as you let your mind go to that place, you're on a rocking chair going nowhere fast with a loaf of bread rocking back and forth. And I I was thinking about this, and I thought this is the same truth we've all had to learn the hard way over the last two years of living in the midst of a global pandemic, isn't it? I mean, if you look at the fact that, that on one hand there's this virus that we knew very little about two years ago, 
And it's proven to, to, to be so destructive, life-threatening, and it's, it's caused this ripple effect of illness and restrictions and conflict and all sorts of things. And, and, and yet on the other hand, right, we need people. And we can't, we, we, we got to be together and, and people are at their wits end and, and we're saying we need normal. Does anybody else want normal back? Is there a show of hand? Can somebody tell me I'm not alone, right? We need this, right? That's true. And so what do we do? What do we do in light of Jesus' words in our world today? And I can just tell you, this is just what I've imperfectly tried to do myself, okay? And I say imperfectly because I have not been perfect and my guess is neither have you. First of all, just like studying for a test, right? You take every precaution that seems prudent, wise, and respectful of the people around you. And, and I say that because I know that that's going to look different for everyone in different contexts and different places. And then as we step back out into the world, into the normal, which again is going to look different for each and every person, we trust that where our control ends, God's control is only beginning. That's what it means not to worry. It's to be responsible for what you can be responsible for and trust God with the rest. And I'm passionate about this because when the pandemic is over or that scan that you have tomorrow is over or whatever test you're ready to take that you're concerned about is over, it's not going to be that that's going to take your life. It's going to be worry that's going to take your life. And Jesus came to give us life, not to take it away. And so he continues, verse 26. He says, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father knows and feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And I love the example here because there's few birds in the animal kingdom that work as hard as birds, right? Like, like if there was ever an American animal, it would be a bird, right? Like, where do we, where do we get the, the, the phrase? The early bird gets the worm because birds are always getting up early. They're always doing stuff. They're always flapping their wings, protecting their young, looking for worms or whatever it is that they eat. But a bird, in Jesus' context, a bird also knows that she's a bird, doesn't she? A bird knows that she's a bird, and because of that, she doesn't try to feed her young by flying through Piggly Wiggly with a credit card in her beak, right? Because she's a bird. And actually, you've seen birds that do that. They fly into Walmart, they fly into Home Depot, they fly into the grocery store, and what happens to them is they actually, they usually die there. And I, I've shared this story a couple times now, but it was, it was a number of years ago, I, I had two birds stuck in my garage. Anybody else here ever have a bird stuck in their garage? Two birds stuck in my garage. And so I did, I did what we all do when this happens. I, I got a broom or something, and I tried to scare them away, <laughs> right? Like, I didn't hit them or anything, but I was trying to, like, hit things and wave and do all this stuff, which, of course, didn't work. And so I did the second thing that many of us do now. I took out my phone, and I Googled, because I knew I can't be the only one, bird in garage, <laughs> And I found there's a lot. There's YouTube videos and blog posts and all kinds of cool stuff. I learned lots of things about birds. And, and, and here's what I learned. The reason that birds get stuck in a garage or a Walmart or anything like that is because they're attracted to a light. 
And so in my case, it was the garage door opener light, and it was dusk, and so these two birds had been attracted to the light, and they get so focused on the light, they fly into it, and then they fly around it, and they cannot get their eyes off of it. And so what I read was scaring a bird is not what you do. What, what you do to get a bird out of the garage is you turn off all the lights and you leave the door open so that they can fly to the true light that they'll see the sun or they'll see the moon and they will leave wherever they are stuck. And if you don't do that, the sad thing is, eventually those birds will die from exhaustion because, like literally die from exhaustion because they fly around a light that is giving them nothing in return. I probably don't have to finish my sermon. You, you get where this is going, right? These are Jesus' words. What, ask, what God asks of you and me is, is not to sit like a bump on a log and not worry about anything. That's, that's not what he's saying. Any more than he made a bird to sit in a nest and open its beak and wait for, for earthworms from heaven <laughs> to come down into the nest. What God asks a bird is to be a bird. Nothing more and nothing less. And what God asks you is to be you. And what God asks me is to be me. Nothing more and nothing less. Worry about the things that, that you actually have control over, which, again, he has given you a life mission. Love God and love others. Because it's harder to be worried when you're focused on worrying about other people. Put yourself 100% into those things and then leave the rest to God because if you take on what only God can do for you or what only other people can do for themselves, what ends up happening is you become a bird flying around the garage door light. You're like a person standing in Walmart rocking a loaf of bread. And I tell this story because I'm sorry to say one of the birds, I, I did what the blog post said, one of the birds ended up flying out, but the other one was too tired by the time I found it, and he died from exhaustion. I found him on the floor the next morning because he was trying to fly around the wrong thing for too long, and it killed him. Jesus said, don't let that happen to you. Listen to these words. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers in the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, these are Jesus' words. He says, I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And, and if that is how God clothes the field and the grass, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans will run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what God made you to do. Put your whole self in that, and all of these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its 
own. God will worry about tomorrow. There is nothing out of his control, out of his care, and it is our fear that God isn't in control of tomorrow that makes us anxious today. And that's why Jesus says, I am with you. Love God, love others, and pray. And so I want to encourage you now to join me in that. Let's, let's close our eyes. and As we come before God, we, just, we pray that, that maybe the Lord might bring to the surface of our, of our heart's eye the, the thing that we're worried about today. The thing that we're concerned about, the thing that we're anxious for, the thing that that keeps us up at night. God, would you bring that to the surface of our hearts? That we might take it as an offering and place it at your feet. I, God, I think of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4. He uses the same Greek word that's used as worry in Jesus' words when he says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so God, for the things that we're anxious about, we recognize you are in control of everything. And that means you know the most productive thing that we can do for the things that concern us is to turn to you in prayer. To pray to you to beat down the doors of heaven. Thank you for the ways that you have already provided for our needs and the faith that you give us to know that you will in the days to come. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you do not ignore the reality that this can be a very scary world. That there is great responsibility that's placed on our shoulders and deep concern over where our most basic, legitimate needs are met. You don't ignore those truths. But you tell us that, that we should contrast ourselves to the pagans. Pagan is just a word for a person that has not yet found their hope in God. That we might acknowledge that while everyone in the world is chasing after things, worried, thinking that, that their needs can only be met by their own might, by pulling themselves by their own bootstraps, you say to us that is not the way that you are called to live. Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Not because you don't need to eat and drink and wear clothes, but because you have a Father in heaven that knows what you need and will provide for you like he provides lilies for the field. And so God, I pray that you give us the ability to be responsible for the things that we can be responsible for and give us the faith to trust that where our ability ends, your providence is only beginning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.